Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. And here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Jody. How you doing? Hello, Paul. How are you? Doing well. Fantastic. Um, it's been quite a, a busy week. Lots going on. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to kind of touch upon. Paul, um, this was an important week for you. It was your birthday. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Very cool. Thanks, Jody. I appreciate that. Well, yeah. And a big one, too. Yeah, it's the big five zero. We've been talking Woo! about it on the podcast. And uh, so it was a great week. Uh, my birthday day itself was cool. My daughter, who is 10... She uh, she has a she runs the show when it comes to the birthdays in the house. She does a lot of prepare, preparation and planning, so she spreads the gifts out throughout the day and and focuses on breakfast in the morning and makes sure that the uh, dinner at night is done and the cake and and so she's very very particular in how she runs everybody's birthday um, in the house. So thank you, Jody. I appreciate it. Um, Cool week, yeah. Nonetheless, so a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, but I did have a few things I wanted to bring up that kind of relate to the show. One was I, f- I was able to fix my garage door. I know we've talked about this in the past, Jody, in terms of home maintenance. Uh, my garage door, when I hit the button for the automatic garage door opener to pop the door open, it got to the point where I had to sit in my car to open the door because it was just too painfully noisy. Right, <laughs> like the door was screeching, and I finally uh, looked on YouTube found the right video and, and sprayed up the hinges and the rollers and I, I had the right lubricant and and you know what the thing is nice and quiet now so it was there a big win for me this week I think well, I WD40 see. do you right every time absolutely they make a special blend for garage doors specifically which has WD40 and lithium grease in it it's like a combination okay. that I All found right. um, for like five bucks so I probably saved myself a $200 trip from the uh, garage door specialists to come over between that and flex seal that's that's my secret weapons. Absolutely. So yeah, for a big tip out there, you, if your garage door is too noisy, just get the right formula. Look on YouTube; you'll fix it in five minutes. Um, and then also, I had some electronic payments that I had to take care of this week. So um, I had my auto insurance and my life insurance that came in, and I actually reminded me to kind of remind the listeners to check your auto pay. If you have any of those things on auto pay to hit a credit card or something like that, make sure you check them. Um, my life insurance was is on auto pay, but um, it did flag a message that the credit card was out of date. So the last thing you want is for your <laughs> life insurance to lapse and something happen for you know, and just ha- have it happen over something stupid. So I would watch the auto pays. And the last thing Jody was, and I think I sent it to you during the week, was we actually got our first Facebook request by a listener. And uh, we're going to focus on doing that story for him, uh, the 401k versus the TSP request. Uh, so, so they want to know what's the difference between the TSP and the 401k. So I'll spend a little time on that, Jody, and put it together because we finally got uh, a request from a listener, and we're going we're gonna to adhere to it. So thank you for, for listening, and thank you for sending your uh, Facebook message. We really appreciate it. So... Um, with that, we'll kind of jump into the uh, the topic, right? We are excited to have our special guest, good friend Will Powell here again, and we'll discuss with Will mortgages, uh, mortgages 101. But first, let's talk about some music, uh, some music, some news we saw this past week. 
The first news story, which lines up with what we're going to talk about today, is one in four Americans don't know the interest rate on their mortgage, and that was part of a survey. And and Jody, I read through this story, but the one thing that jumped out at me was I don't have a mortgage anymore, but for every mortgage I ever had, I can remember the mortgage rate. My last mortgage is 4.375, right? And my first mortgage was 3.375, right? Like I... <laughs> I don't know how people don't know <laughs> their mortgage rate, right? I don't understand that. Maybe I'm, it's just me and you, because I bet you you know your mortgage rate. Um, but this was an interesting uh, story. What was your take uh, on this story, Jody? Well, yeah, this this starts out with the with the headline about the mortgage rate. It gets into other items that people kind of don't keep track of, and I think that's the theme of the article here. To me, I think what's more important than knowing what your mortgage rate is is knowing the other two critical numbers, what it costs you every month, and when is it gonna pay off? Um, because that rate, once you lock it in, it stays there, right? It doesn't move. And so it, it sort of becomes, a, to me, like a, a number that you don't need to remember, unless, of course, it's on the high side and you wanna watch for a date where you wanna refinance and, and lower that rate. If you've got a low rate, like I do, like. Unless mortgage rates go to zero, I'm not going to bother refinancing. You know, it's so it, that that's how low it is. Um, but but this article gets into other things that people don't keep track of on a regular basis, and I think that's the bigger theme here. Um, so give this one a read. Very cool. Very cool. Um, the second story we're going to touch upon is from Bloomberg, and the title is. Um, Personal finance, make a budget in just 25 minutes. So, Jody, I thought of you instantly <laughs> when I saw this <laughs> because we're always talking about more uh, budgets. And it was a good – I think the crux of this article or story is the 17 categories. I did like the 17 categories that were in here. They sounded pretty good. You probably get down to a more granular level with the categories. But I could see where they're saying, okay, if you could get your spending into these 17 categories, you'll cover most everything. Uh, Jody, what's your take on this story? Yeah, great, great story here, and I appreciate you thinking of me. Um, I actually, uh, you know, I manage my my budget spreadsheet almost every day, um, and, and you know, it's kind of a game for me. I've gamified the thing for myself. Um, but the idea being is what we've always talked about, Paul. You've got to be intentional with your money. You've got to know where every dollar of every that that's coming in whether it's a paycheck or a commission check or whatever it is check you've got to be intentional with every single dollar you get your hands on because otherwise it's just going to grow legs and run away from you and you're not going to know where it went um i love the 17 categories uh i think i have 170 categories wow. but it doesn't matter <laughs> the, the point is sit down start you start if you don't have a budget start it today and it's as simple as sitting down just like this person the author did here with a piece of paper and just listing out what you pay every single month, what you know you pay every single month. Start with the big things. Start with your house payment, your utility bills, if you have a car payment, uh, you know, student loans, anything like that. Start sit that you know, set those up on a piece of paper, figure out what you owe every month, figure out what comes in every month, and then make it go black. Don't make it go red, right? Because if you're running a deficit, then you got a problem. Um, and you're probably going to have a deficit. If you've never done it before, you're probably going to have a deficit. It's okay. Start. Start there and, and get it working and start pushing the ship in the right direction, sailing the ship in the right direction because um, you will eventually get to the right place. And, and let's be honest here, too, and this says this at the, at the top of the article, and we don't want to get political here. This is just reality. You know, the coming year, <clears throat> uh, there's going to be 
we're going to have a lot of holes to climb out of as a country, right? I mean, we've got what's happened with the pandemic. We've got the impact to the economy. Taxes are likely to go up. A previous guest of ours said that, uh, Mm -hmm. and and I believe him. I think taxes will go up next year, regardless of who is the president. Uh, We know who the president's going to be, and it's not going to be the current one. Um, But uh, the point is, is that set yourself up for things that are going to come down the pike um, eventually, right? Whether it's taxes or whether it's a, a further impact to the economy, uh, you know, hopefully people don't lose jobs, but that's always a possibility. Always be setting yourself up. Don't be running, you know, don't be bumping up against spending every dollar that you bring in um, because you, you, then you don't have any room to save. And you've got to build up that, that emergency fund and that savings account to make sure that if hard times come, you are ready. And I think hard times are going to come in 2021, and we've all got to be ready. Very cool. Yeah, and, and for those of you listening, we as you, and if you're regular listeners, we do have some past podcasts that just focus strictly on budgeting for the entire podcast. So give those a listen back. And Jody, that was a great synopsis of, of everything going on. And, and you reminded everybody, you have to be prepared in this economy with the things going on the next you know year to 18 months to 24 months. It's going to be a roller coaster, so you know, make sure that your your money isn't right. Try to budget, try to get everything in check, so you're good to go and weather these storms. Um, so, with that, I think we'll bring in our guest, uh, Will Powell. He's becoming a regular guest now on our podcast. Uh, and uh, Will, welcome back to Financial Dads. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, just wanted to uh, catch up. We haven't caught up with you in a while. We, we definitely want to hear a little bit about your background when it comes to mortgages. As we've said in the past, uh, you've been in this business, in the mortgage business, for many years. I'll let you kind of describe yeah. that. But we definitely want to hear what's going on with you life-wise and, and your little bit of background on, uh, on, on your mortgage experience. All right. Well, let's see. I've been in the mortgage business since 93. It's basically the only thing I've ever done. Uh, I was a self-employed broker, mortgage broker, for about 10 or 11 years. And then back in, uh, what year was that? 2011, I went to work for Chase. I, you know, I, I turned in my license, went, went to work for Chase. That that was around, you know, the, the 08, 09 recession. And then I weathered that storm as long as I could. And then... Uh, Around 2011, I went to work for Chase, and then I uh, stayed at Chase for three or four years, and I, and now I'm at uh, Exceed Financial, which is a credit union, and I've been here for the past six years. Very cool. Other than that, uh, I'm an avid camper. Uh, we loved camping, camping since 1999. We just went uh, seasonal, and we have a permanent location, so we spent a lot of time camping. My son just bought a house. I assisted him with that. And uh, he's got a baby on the way as well, which will, which, which, she should be here within the next week or so. Oh, very cool! That is so cool. You are busy, my friend. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. So that was cool. You bet. You were able to help your son out with the whole process of buying a home. That that's something that, with all your experience and and in years of seeing all kinds of situations from a mortgage perspective, from a real estate perspective. Being at those tables at the closings, I'm sure you had a lot of great advice for your son 
uh, going in. Was there one piece of advice that stuck out the most when you were going through that process or one learning moment or teachable moment you were able to talk to him about maybe you could share? Yeah, I would say in his situation, it, it would be to, uh, to, to get your own attorney because in his situation, um, he shared, uh, he bought his fiance's uh, grandfather's house. And so they ended up uh, sharing an attorney. But at the same time, he wasn't able to get, you know, the, the workflow the way it should have been because, you know, the same guy was representing the buyer and the seller. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So always kind of separate separate those those, uh, those responsibilities right. in your you opinion. Can only push so, you can only push the guy so hard because he's on both sides of the transaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you don't know where his loyalty, you, know, you really don't know where his loyalties lie or if he's telling you the truth or not. You, you, you know what I mean? If, if you're not happy, you can't say, hey, can you send a letter to the attorney and tell him we need to step this? You know, you can't do that because who's he going to send the letter to? Very but interesting. We worked that and, uh, you know, he closed like two or three weeks ago. Oh, very cool. Congratulations to him as well. That is awesome. Um, I think what we'll do, uh, Will, is we'll kind of jump into the topics, and I think we'll touch okay. on them on a high level, and, and feel free to add any of your nuggets of knowledge along the way, um, okay. you know, in terms of uh, these pieces. Although, before we start, I got one other question for you, which kind of came to mind. I have another friend that is a mortgage broker, and he's been a mortgage broker for many years. He was at a company at one point that worked really well. He was able to work really well. When you moved from your owning your own mortgage company where you had complete control over the whole process of paperwork and and and, and all these different pieces and then moved to Chase and not to I'm not knocking Chase, but did you see a difference between kind of owning everything holistically end to end versus now you have to rely on others within the organization to help you? get mortgages done was there any kind of friction points that that you had or and you don't have to share them i, I don't i didn't want no, to be too I, I crazy would, i would say no by the time i left uh one of the big reasons i i i ended up turning in my license in eight nine and ten because the broker business was huge back then and brokers began to go out of business and as brokers went out of business the New York State Banking Department, they still need to uh, bring in a certain amount of money. So then they began to increase our annual assessments to cover the money that they weren't getting because they didn't have the same, you know, the same pool of brokers to, to draw from. So it was costing me twice the amount of money just to just to keep my license hmm. while at the same time my, my revenues weren't weren't the same. So I wasn't making as much money. But they're beating me all over the head with these quarterly assessments and 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 all of the other fees that 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 comes along with being a broker. But um, but by the time I left, um, the business had changed. They had they had changed the way you make money in the business, and because of the fallout from from the uh, from the, the mortgage crisis at that time, being a broker wasn't. Uh, wasn't looked at the same because they 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 looked at us as you know somewhat but since we had no vested interest in the loan performing you know we were scrutinized by the banks a lot more hmm. you know from the appraisals to the income documentation because um you know we we you know, the the only thing we did was we would package the loan send it to a bank you know they would underwrite it 
and if they and if they liked the loan, you know, they would fund it and they would it, they would pay us. But they were taking such huge losses through the foreclosures that um, getting a loan through the system was not the same. So when I went to work um, at at Chase, Chase was uh, they were developing their own business, they're funding their own loans, and so it, it was a it was a whole different process. So. And, and coming off of that, you know, that the tough times that I experienced in the end, uh, as a broker, uh, it, I welcome that. The fact that I didn't have to worry about uh, compliance, that was taken care of. The fact that I didn't have to worry about paying a, a $2,000 credit report bill. You know, all, all the expenses that, that were tied in with, with running your own operations, I didn't have to manage every dollar because you know just like we, we have our own personal budgets you, you have to have a budget for your business and then you know it got to the point where we had to control the expenses to you know to make sure that we we were profitable and and uh, I didn't like that I wanted I wanted to do business but I didn't like having to keep my eye, you know keep my eye on every dollar just to make sure we're not losing money so that was that was no fun in the end Interesting, interesting, and do, and I, I know we're not jumping into the topics yet, but I, this is all great dialogue, and I, I love hearing about you know not when I say hearing about it, it's fascinating to me the the whole journey. There were so many things wrapped up in there, entrepreneurship and business budgets and all kinds of pieces. Oh, yeah. um, did you? I guess when when the crisis was over, and now we're in twenty twenty, so and going into twenty twenty one, has the did it did the regulations and restrictions tighten up and then did they get loose again or do you think that no, overall no, we're no, still no. seeing kind of a no, tightening I, I would say um the the regular it's the way well I'm, I'm used to it now but the business will never be the way it was now back then let me give you an, an example i would have a list of appraisers you know, depending on the market, whether it was in, depending on the state, depending on the county, I would have a list of appraisers, you know, my favorite appraisers list, the people that I trusted. And if I needed something done or if I needed a value check, this is before, you know, you, you could just check the value of your property on the internet. But back then you would have to call your appraiser up and ask. And and then if, um, if the deal did come together, you would call him and ask him to do the job for you. Now, um, when it becomes when it comes to an appraisal, you, we cannot have direct contact with an appraiser, hmm. and so it, it has made appraisals more expensive. So an appraisal goes through what's called an appraisal management company. What they do, they're the intermediary. They they manage the list of all the different appraisers in all the different states and all the different markets. So when you need an appraisal done, they'll send out the request to five different e appraisers. They'll all get an email. And depending on who gets to, who, who um, responds first and has the bandwidth to, to do the job, they are the one uh, that that gets the job. So it's 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 very random. So you don't know who's getting the work. Um, you don't know if he's a good appraiser, if he's a bad appraiser. The only way you really know if he's a good or bad appraiser if you have you know if, if you notice a certain name pop up three or four times when you get low values, then you can say, hey, I don't want this guy doing jobs for us anymore. But um, but we have no no control over the appraisal process, and at the same time, that hurt a lot of independent appraisers because uh, back in the day, the, as an appraiser, your job was to build 
relationships with brokers and banks mm. and because they would you know they were able to send you business directly now you have to count on the management company sending you a job and and you're, they're not sending you the job directly you're on the list <laughs> and so it depends on how you know you could be out doing a job and you get an email about a job and if you don't respond you know you don't get to work that's the way it is now so a lot of appraisers went out of business because they weren't you can't build a business when when your business is based on handouts now rather than being able to build a one-to-one -one relationship with the broker or, or a bank interesting interesting yeah it's fascinating how that it sounds like that it's all changed do you think from a consumer's perspective do you think it's changed for the better or for the worse or what's I your would feeling say, um in some ways for the better mm -hmm. because um back then um our income per loan was not capped so based on the loan amount based on the customer profile that kind of dictated how much you charge that particular client you know depending on how sophisticated he was so if if, if the person wasn't as sophisticated you would you could get away with charging them more money if the fit person was sophisticated you would roll it back so now in the business you have to set your fees uh, up front so regardless of who you're doing business with everyone gets treated the same interesting interesting so yeah so and, and like with anything else there's good points and bad points but I, I guess overall the economy still keeps moving forward and and people have to get their mortgages right so I and I think we'll jump into the topics and the first one is the first time mortgage right so I remember my experience this was way back when. I wish I had known you way back when uh, and you were doing this, Will. I remember I get my first mortgage. Uh, I think it was for around 240K and uh, in full transparency, I didn't have the full 20% down. I think I wound up with 5% down. It took a lot of risk um, and they were able to give me a 30-year mortgage plus a home equity line kind of combo. <laughs> which covered. So I was mm -hmm. leveraged like crazy. And I remember the process being, um, I remember the documentation being very thick, lots of paperwork, uh, lots of things to sign. And I remember going through the different appraisal processes and all these different things. Yep. Very cool. And, and so, Will, we want to hear it from, from you, right? Because maybe you could tell us a little bit about your, about your first mortgage. I'm not sure if you did, if you wrote your own first mortgage, but if you could take us through, you know, people listening right now and they're looking to buy a home, take mm -hmm. us through what they should be doing and, and what should they be looking at from a first time mortgage? Maybe take us through the mechanics. Well, number one, you want to make sure you have good credit. All right. Because um, these days, there are fewer options for, for from a mortgage. So the business never recovered where there's a huge subprime market like there was, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, when I was a broker. So you, you need to have really good credit. And then from there, uh, most people are coming in with the 5 or 10% down payment. And so you're going to have, uh, well, my first mortgage, it was an FHA loan. Uh, with an FHA loan, the benefit of going FHA is that it allows two things. It allows a very small down payment, a 3.5% down payment. Um, and it also allows for a higher debt-to-income threshold. So you could be in more debt, and you don't need as much money to put down in order to get the loan. 
And the third benefit of an FHA loan is it allows up to 6% seller's concessions. Now, that's the big piece when you go in FHA. Now, seller's concessions is when you negotiate for the seller to pay uh, some of your closing costs. So if you have good credit and not a lot of money, um, a lot of people will take advantage of an FHA loan because you, you have the ability, let's say, for example, if you buy a $200,000 property and if you can negotiate 6% and uh, sell its concessions, uh, each, each percent is worth on a $200,000 pro- you know, mortgage would be worth $2,000. So six times two is 12. So if you can negotiate for a full 6% and sell its concessions, the seller's giving you $12,000 to go towards the transaction plus the money that you bring to the table. So that's the way a lot of people uh, get into their first home. Uh, if they don't have a lot of money, they'll use a combination of seller's concessions uh, to, to leverage the transaction along with the money that they have. Uh, and, and that's what we did. The first house we bought, uh, we used an FHA loan. We were able to negotiate some seller's concessions and I remember uh, we, we bought our first home in uh, 1998, the first one. And uh, we were planning on using, so we had some of our own money, but then we, we did it around tax time as well, because that's a big time to buy, for people to buy homes too when they get their tax refund. We were waiting for that tax refund to come in to, to, uh, to make up the difference, I think we were short maybe three or four thousand, and we were, you know, expecting a, a tax refund of three or four thousand, and and that was everything that we needed uh, to put the whole process together. But I mean, you know, so if you have good credit, uh, a stable employment, that's important. Stable employment, and uh, you can get it done. So, and the two prop products now, you're going to have your FHA loan, you're going to have your your standard conforming loan, which will be a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan. But then you have other products like a USDA loan. I won't go into any of those. Those, those aren't used as much. But um, a lot of people with, a lot of mon- with not a lot of money, they may take advantage of the FHA loan as a first-time buyer. Now, once you become more sophisticated and you're buying your second or third home, uh, you do it through the, the standard conforming loan. I hope I answered your question. No, that was very good. I, I feel so uninformed. I remember back then, uh, and this is very insightful, I didn't even realize the, the the value or the benefits of an FHA, and maybe that was something yep. I could have looked at. I didn't even realize that whole 6% piece. That That's interesting. I was always kind of told conventional 30-year fixed, right? And, right? and there's no secret on the show. The first podcast we did was I, I paid off my mortgage a number of years ago, and I don't have one right now. If I ever have to get one again, I will reach out to you, Will. <laughs> but right now, I'm kind of happy not having it. Um, it's been cool not having to pay that payment, and I could redirect that money to other places. But sure. I was told when I started out, you know, get a 30-year fixed conventional. And I now I realize later on that maybe I should have gone for the 15, but the 15 was too expensive. And like, what is your thoughts when it comes to kind of the 30-year versus the 15-year? And, um, you know, in, in that genre of and of, of trying to figure out what's the best loan for yourself, like you said about the first time well, buyer, but some right. of these other pieces. Well, it, it depends on whether you go 30 or 15. I think it comes down to your budget because this is what happens. And this is what I tell a lot of people when when you want to buy a house. 
you want to figure out how much you can afford on a monthly basis where you can still do all the fun stuff. And I don't know what the fun stuff is for anyone. I don't know if you like to shop. I don't know if you like to go on vacation. I don't like I don't know if you like to go out and eat. I don't know if you have a kid who's in hockey where you're paying five hundred dollars a month, you know, to pay for all of his equipment. But um, if if you you need to figure out what a comfortable payment is for you, where you can still have all do all the fun stuff, because when we put a mortgage together and sometimes and people ask for this, they want to know what's the biggest loan they can qualify for. And when if, if that's the direction you're going in and you want the biggest loan that you can qualify for, you're going to have a great house, but you're not you're going to be broke. You're not going to have any money. And in regard to the to whether you go on a 15 year term or a 30 year term, I guess it kind of it depends on how much you can afford per month and how much house you want. Because a lot of times if you were to put that same house on a 15 year term that you like, you're not going to be you're not going to be able to afford it. Yep. And and and. And I think people focus on the house first, payment second. Do you see what I'm saying? So if, if you're locked into that big, you know, 2,500 square foot home, four bedrooms, three bathrooms, pool, um, chances are that 15 year payment is not going to work for you. Interesting. And and then, and, oh. and 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 there there is no right way. So that that's I guess that's the thing. There is no right way you have to do what works for you if you want to own that house in a reasonable amount of time and you're willing to you know cut back on certain things because think about it if um if you have to choose between a house that costs five hundred thousand and one and one that costs three hundred you know if you could buy a five hundred thousand dollar property but you could have to put it on a, a 30-year term or you can buy a three hundred and fifty or four hundred thousand dollar property but you can put it on the 15 on a 15-year term I don't know which direction you're going to go into because each house is going to have, you know, it's the amenities, it's the square footage. So there's, there's a lot of things that plays into it. Uh, and it's, it's the lifestyle. It could be the neighbor, you know, it could be a change in neighborhood. It could be a change in square footage. So there, there's a lot of things that play into, the, you know, which, which type of term you're going to take advantage of. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and I, I think this all kind of ties in. And there was one other question I had, uh, Will, is around variable versus fixed rate. I think that's what I was trying to think about before when I was – there's the difference between a 15-year and a 30-year. And what is your view when it comes to the variable versus the fixed rate mortgage? Well, I would say the variable rate product isn't a big product right now because the rates are so low. Mm. Um, so we, we don't we, we don't see a lot of people taking advantage of a variable rate mortgage because the, the difference between a fixed rate and a variable rate may be like a three eighths of a of three eighths of a basis point. So it's it's not a huge difference. Now, when when the rates were in the fives and sixes, it was a big difference. But now so the, 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 the margins are so low right now. It doesn't benefit a bank to put someone into a, a variable rate mortgage because they're they're not making that much money right now because the rates are so low. And on the on the flip side, even if you did take uh, advantage of a variable rate mortgage, um, there's a lot of risk involved. I mean, obviously we're we, you know we're in an environment now where rates have gone down, 
But if you get into a variable rate mortgage and things change, oh man, you're going to be looking for the exit. You, you're going to want to get out fast. And so, so I see more people getting out of variable rate loans that they may have taken out four or five years ago. But that's not a big product right now because um, the, these, the banks, whether it's a credit union or a bank, they, um, they, they, they need to maintain their margins. And so there's no, there's no money to be made on their end with the rates being so low. So it's not priced uh, to entice people to take advantage of that product right now. Interesting, interesting. And do you do you do you have a view yourself on the prediction around rates, in terms of the next you know yeah, I, two I years, five say, years, ten years? Um, yeah, I would say at some point, rates they're going to have to go up. I mean, I think they're going to be low for the next couple of years, but um, the margins the margins are tight. The margins are tight with these rates being being so low. And uh, and it's it's making some banks back off on certain products, you, you, or or they have to be more conservative in, in the way they they lend the money because they're not making as as much money. But I, I would say at some point, rates will definitely go up. But um, while they're low like this, take full advantage. If you if you're buying a house, this is a great time to buy. If you need to refinance your mortgage, it's a uh, it's a great time to do that. But um, at some point, they will have to go up. Cool. And maybe we'll jump into the next topic, which ties to that, right? Refinancing a mortgage. So you're sitting there, you have a mortgage rate from a couple of years ago that might be at 4%. And we've talked about this on the show in the past, but would really like to hear from you in terms mm -hmm. of refining a mortgage. Like, what is the trigger point? What is the percentage of where typically, you would... Well, yep. typically, uh, rule of thumb, you want to be able to reduce your rate by at least two percentage points. Now... That's not always possible now because rates have been so low for so long. So unless you took your mortgage out 10 years ago, if you got a mortgage uh, from 8, 9, 10, 10 years ago, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, um, you're probably right for a refinance. But if you took out a mortgage um, five years ago, let's say, for example, well, if, yeah, if you took out a mortgage five years ago, let's say, for example, if you have an interest rate of four and a half percent, you could probably get into uh, a two, two, six, two, seven on a 15 year term where it, it'll, you know, it'll be the, the margin is close enough where it'll make sense to refinance into a 15 year term. So I would say, yeah, if your mortgage is five, six years, five or six years old, there may be some opportunities for you. Now, um, if you are trying to refinance out of a 30 and you want to go into a 15 year term, you may experience a slight payment bump. So a lot of times when, when people refinance and they want to go into a shorter term, they do not always want uh, you know to increase their payment. Uh, and so that sometimes because you you know you have a certain budget and you may not be able to afford an extra $300 a month or whatever the case may be. But if you can and you can slide into a lower rate, uh, with a shorter term and you can afford the payment bump, it's a great thing to do. But typically, rule of thumb is to, to uh, you have to be able to reduce your rate by a, as close to 2% as possible. That is interesting. See, I was wrong again. <laughs> so I always kind of thought, um, at least from my vantage point, that 1%, like we talked about this recently, Jody, right, on, on our Reddit story podcast, one of the Reddit stories where... 
I was doling out. And so people, don't listen to me. Listen to Will. Um, well, hold I, on. Let, let, let me qualify that a little bit more. The bigger the loan, the the uh, the smaller the margin needs to be to uh, to you know in, in order to make the the refinance enticing. So, and, and as I do, I've been doing a lot of million dollar loans, million dollar you know one point five million dollar loans. So if if you're doing a huge loan, a one percent reduction in rate is a huge difference but for the average person if they're if they're you know if they're between three and five hundred thousand uh you may need more than a one percent but the bigger the loan the smaller the margin needs to be got it okay that makes that makes a ton of sense that makes a ton of sense i remember when i refied the last time i refied i went from the 30 to the 15 uh, the percentage point was definitely lower on the 15, and I was able, thankful and grateful, I was able to buy down some of the principal when I did the transaction. And uh-huh. so, and to your point, I remember I, I took your advice, and I remember on the last show I, that you were on, you told us about this. Make sure you, to avoid a paperwork nightmare, if you could afford to buy down, pay down on your current mortgage before you do the refi. Right. And I did that. I must have just you must have channeled that to me somehow. And I remember doing that. So I was able to bring my my rate down, um, my payment down, as well as the rate down, and go into a shorter term. Um, and, and maybe we'll kind of switch topics here uh, and go into banks versus mortgage brokers. And I know you've been on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your view when it comes to I'm a first time buyer or I'm a person that needs to refi? What are the differences and what am I looking for when I'm going, you know, uh, in a mortgage well, broker I would or a bank? Say- there, the, there is no real difference now. I can tell you what the difference was before. Now, before, as a broker, you were able to set up relationships with a bunch of different banks uh, who, who had different products, whether it's a good, pro, get a good credit product, a bad credit product, uh, you know, an in-between product. So you would have access to all of these different products so that you could help uh, a client regardless of where his credit was now the subprime market never really came back and so there's the, the there is no real benefit of using a broker because you know for example you know I work for a credit union we only have our products a broker would be able to go out and and offer a client many other products but but the but the mortgage the, 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 those pro- products are no longer available. And so the, the, the downside uh, with dealing with the broker is that it's a one-shot deal. It, there, you know, there's no ownership in the loan. There's no follow-up if, if something's wrong after you close. You know, it, he's, he's done with it. He's been paid. Um, doesn't matter what he told you you were going to get. Uh, you know, because the, the the bank that he put you through, they they actually own the loan. Whereas when you're dealing with a bank, I still have clients call me a, a month later, six months later, um, all the time, and and ask me questions about their loan, and I can help them. They like that, so they they like the the long term relationship of being you know of still being able to lean on me if they have a question about their loan. You don't get that with a broker. Interesting. And I'm going to ask you one follow-up question on that, 
uh, yes. Will, and and that is now that you're, you know, what's the difference between a bank and a credit union? Because you've clearly been on both sides. So is there yeah. a difference between? I would say, I would say, uh, with the with the credit union, we do not have as much red tape as a bank. Uh, one of the biggest things I, I I I hated when I was over at Chase, there were way there was way too much red tape because they had. They had way too many people doing very small jobs because of the volume. So it, it was almost like an assembly line at Chase. So at the credit union, we'll have one person doing, doing five pieces of the job. But at Chase, because of the amount of loan volume that they were doing, these people had small jobs, but they had to do it a thousand times. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that resulted in a whole lot of red tape. And it and it really slowed down the process, and I and I hated that. So and and I and I, I, I there was no one point of contact because there were so many different people doing so many so many different so many different things. So uh, I I prefer the relationship I have with the clients at the credit union. We can offer lower rates. I can always call one person. And ask them where the loan is. I can get more favors done because I have relationships with these people. Whereas if if ten people are involved in a loan transaction on on the back end, I don't know all these people. I just can't call them up and ask them, to, you know, to push something along or to push it up to the top. But I, I appreciate uh, the relationships I have with the back office. I appreciate they. We, I appreciate the fact that we can get loans loans closed a lot faster than the big banks. Uh, that's what it is for me. And uh, and I will say this, dealing with the credit union, these people are very loyal. Oh, and the credit's better. I would say from, from a credit standpoint, I deal with the higher level of credit at the credit union versus uh, when, when I was uh, working for Chase. So these, these people are well, well qualified well qualified compared to chase chase i had to whew, i had to figure out how to make things happen but a lot of times with the credit union these people they're well qualified they have lots of assets so it makes my job a lot easier wow yeah that that's interesting the way you said that because my last refi was with a bank big bank and to your point, that's exactly what happened. There were a number of different departments and people touching oh. my transaction, and there was an error. And it it wasn't a big enough error where it needed to be. How do I put it? It, it did in the in the end, it was okay. It was livable, but they they really should have clarified it. And it was a clerical error that kind of I lost. I'm going to say a couple of hundred bucks in the end. It wasn't worth digging too deep and trying to unwind it and, and, and try to get and I don't want to go into the particulars but I could see your point that's what I was trying to illustrate was the big banks seem to like well no th this department has it now no this department has it now and when you call you never know where your loan sat so I, I, that's a great call out that if you have access to a credit union to to get your mortgage that might be your first stop whether it's a refi oh, yeah. or a mortgage first time buyer oh, yeah. oh definitely very cool very cool um, the next topic I think we'll touch upon is paying points. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if I ever paid points. I think on my first mortgage, I, w I did pay a point. I, I can't remember. I, 
My rule of thumb personally has been not to pay points. I'd like to get the rate clean um, and just get it, whatever it is. Quote me the, the, the I always say, quote me the, the without points, right? That was my thing. But once again, I could be proven wrong here. Um, Will, what's your take when it comes to paying points? When is it applicable? Is it a good thing, a bad thing? Um, tell us a little bit about your insights as it comes to paying points. Well, when, when it comes to paying points, sometimes you have to pay points depending on your credit because they have loan level pricing adjustments, which means that um, right now everything's tiered. Let me give you a couple of tiers. It could be credit score 620 to 640, 641 to 668, 669 to, to 700. So everything is tiered. And depending on the bucket that you're in, um, that dictates the pricing for your loan. So when it comes to paying points, let's say, for example, if you do have really good credit, it depends on what the cost is. It's a, You have to do basically do a cost-benefit analysis. So let's say, for example, if, if today's rate is three percent and you really and you would love to have an interest rate of 2.75 percent and then i say hey i can get you into the two you know three point uh, at three percent that's a par rate you know you're not paying any points but in order to get you on the 2.75 it'll cost you a quarter of a point so let's say for example if it's a four hundred thousand dollar loan and i just happen to have a quarter uh calculator here four hundred thousand times 0.25 That'll cost you a thousand dollars. So, if it's going to cost you a thousand dollars to go from the three percent rate to the two point seven five percent rate, you can make up that thousand dollars over the life of the loan. That that's 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 it. It would be well worth it for you to pay those points to slide into the two point. You know, to slide into that rate. However, if I told you to go from three percent to two seven five, it was going to cost you. Uh, a full point, which would be four thousand dollars. Now it's going to take you even longer to recoup, uh, you know, the, the 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 money, the additional monies you're outlay, outlaying in order to get into that. So I, I guess when it comes to paying points, it depends on the rate that you're getting and how much it's actually costing you. So it's not it's it's very fluid. So there there is no uh, one one size fits all. For, for for everyone so it, you know if, if you're trying to slide into that lower rate got to figure out the cost and then you have to do you know you have to do the cost benefit analysis to, to figure out how how long it's going to pay it's going to take you to re to recoup that ex, you know the additional dollars that you're outlaying out you know that you're putting out to get that rate and how long over the term so it could be a two it may take you two years it could take you five years and then after that you're in the money where you know you're you're uh you're getting a huge benefit by, by paying those points. But that's that's the biggest advice that I could give you. It depends on the cost and, and the cost changes every day. So it's it's it it does not just uh, sit one way when it you know, since we get rate sheets every day in the business, one day it could be a quarter of a point to get into the lower rate, the next day it could be a half a point. So timing uh, plays a part in it as well, as far as paying points. Very cool. Yeah, I, 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 Jody. I don't know. I think we've talked about this. this. Is all all great insights here, Jody? Have you ever paid points? I think, like I said, I think I paid points originally, but I wasn't sure if you had any experience with that in your yeah, refis I can't and if such. I ever have. Don't think that I ever have, but uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out completely. 
Yeah, and, and I think it comes down to that break-even analysis. Whenever I've tried to do it, I always had a goal of paying my mortgage early, uh, Will, so points never were attractive to me. But if your plan is to hold the loan for the life of the loan, right. um, that's, yeah. where you, that's where you'll get your, your money back. Um, that is a, correct. Yep, okay, yeah. And I think that's where, I think now that I look back at my last refi, I think that's where the issue was, where they didn't apply. I had a certain amount because I worked for that bank and I had a certain amount that I could play with in terms of moving the, the rate around or the points. It was to buy down the rate and it was interesting and I remember that's where the error was. But it wasn't big enough to for me to worry about at that point. The paperwork was done and everything was was good. Um, I think the one of the last topics we want to talk about is is PMI, uh, the, mm-hmm. the mortgage insurance. I remember on my first mortgage, I had PMI that was baked into my rate, right? So I had I had a combination of a thirty year fixed with a home equity line to make up the the difference on the down payment, and of course I was paying. I th- oh, actually, I might have done it that way to avoid PMI. <laughs> you yeah, would know this better. I, yeah, I think they probably did like an 80-10, 80-15 or something like that, yeah, to get you out of the mortgage insurance. Yeah, yeah. that's what it was. So, But what is your view uh, when it comes to PMI? Uh, well, and- I really don't have a view because it, it depends on how much money you have. Now, if, if – um, if you only have 5% to go to, you know, there's there's three components to buying a house. You have your down payment, closing costs, and your first year of taxes. If you don't have uh, a 20% down payment, you will pay mortgage insurance. Now, there is one thing to watch out for. If you take out an FHA loan, all right, and you have less, if you take out an FHA loan, the mortgage insurance will never go away, even after you, even after you get a, you know, you, you build up twenty percent equity into that loan. With with the conforming products, after you achieve twenty percent equity in the loan, the mortgage the mortgage insurance will go away. So that's one of, one of the downsides right now with taking out of, with taking out an FHA loan is that that the mortgage insurance is for the life of the loan now. But um, for most people, um. PMI is a part of the transaction. If you don't have 20%, it is what it is. So there's, you know, obviously I can do the 80-10s, the 80-15s, uh, where you do a, your first mortgage at 80%, and then you put you uh, put a, either a home equity line of credit or a home equity loan behind that uh, to split the loan so that you don't pay any mortgage insurance. But the downside with doing that, you don't pay any mortgage insurance, but with the home equity line of credit, that's an adjustable rate. The home equity loan, that's a higher rate. So sometimes it does make sense to do that. Sometimes it, it um, it's better to uh, pay the mortgage insurance for a short period of time. Very cool. Very cool. I could talk about this stuff all day, uh, and I know I want to be cognizant of everyone's time. I, I do have one last question, and Jody, if you have a last question, please please let it, uh, ask it as well. What is the lowest rate that you ever saw? Like you walked into the office and said, whoa, like everyone should refi today if they can right like is there like um, a record row, low low rate that you have offered or seen people get that is just crazy yeah uh th- these rates to let me let me tell you and I, i've been working home from home since since march and i've never and, I, and keep in mind i've been in this business since 93 the business is rabid right now i've never seen the rates rates this low so I, we were serving rates on, and this is on a 30 year term, 
two six, two five, you know, depend, depending on the week. It's going up a little bit, but if you could get a, a two point six, two point seven interest rate on a thirty year term, that is amazing. If you can get a two three, two two on a fifteen year term, that's even even better. But I, I've never seen rates this low. And and I've seen it. I've seen it all. I, I used to do loans for people at seven, eight percent, nine, ten percent. But um, this time in the business, um, it is rabid. I mean, my phone. Oh my. Oh my. And keep in mind, I I've been working from home since March. Mm-hmm. And I probably work more hours now. I, you know, since I don't have to take a shower or anything, I start work around six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. And uh, and I only do that because I can't keep up. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. I, I, I remember, like I said, my last rate was 3.3. Th- no, you know what? I Which take is that a bad rate. That's, I think that's it was, not a bad rate. <laughs> yeah, I but, thought uh, it was 3.325. That's what I think yeah. that's what, or 3.375. Yeah. See, um, and, and that's that's a good rate, too. That's not a bad rate. But um, if you could get 2726 on a 30, oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. That is crazy. That is yeah. crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Well, well, I think with that, this was fascinating. And thank you, Will, for doing this with us. I think, you know, my takeaways from today was I love that history that you gave at the beginning, talking about the mechanics of how the mortgage industry has changed. But I also oh, yeah. like the advice on the fun stuff. Make sure that, that that put it the best, right? So Jody had mentioned, you know, your utilities and those necessities, but make sure you have that fun stuff factored into your budget when you're yeah and you know what and uh, when you're when people are shopping for a house they get so locked into that house they forget about everything else and that and that's what I tell them that's why whenever someone asks me they they want to know what the biggest what the biggest uh mortgage they can take out and I'm like hey the last thing you want to be is house poor and and you don't realize you're house poor until you can't do anything so not until you actually own that house. And then you're saying, hey, let's go on vacation. Oh, we don't have money for vacation. Hey, let's go out to eat. Oh, right, right. We don't have money to eat. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, or when you have to put your car in the shop, which we all do, and it's a $600 bill and you can't afford that $600 anymore and you have to put it on a credit card. You don't realize all of those things until after you own the house. Very good call out. When it comes back and smacks you in the face. It is crazy. I think we, we all listen to Dave Ramsey, right? We've all been Ramsey fans. Oh, yeah. And, and he, would, oh, yeah. he would tell you all these pieces. But that would be definitely, a, that's a great takeaway. And thank you for expanding on that takeaway for me. I also, uh, the last two things for me are the credit union recommendation. And if anyone is looking to refi or get a first-time mortgage, get in touch with Will. <laughs> He'll guide Please. you down the right path. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I wish I had known this. And we didn't get back in touch with each other till, oh, oh I guess uh, it's a long story we could probably uh, talk about uh, real quick that uh, Will and I used to work together in an amusement park uh, when we were kids, right? 14, 15, oh, yeah. 16 years old. And that's where we met. Oh, and yeah. then we all kind of scattered. And then at one point, um, I was working at a bank and I was talking to our good Steph- our good friend Stefan and he said, hey, I wonder whatever happened to Will. And I was sitting at my desk at the bank, and I had this thing called the Internet. 
and I searched and I found your mortgage company in, in oh, the yeah. state and I said I found them and we emailed yeah. you and I said is this you and he's like yeah and that yeah. and it, we took it from there so we all came yeah. back full circle so uh, and I'm glad we did but I wish I had known you before that when I was making all my mortgage mistakes uh, oh yeah so so but thank you for joining us on the show today Jody what were your takeaways from today. I think that uh, my big takeaway is that this can all be very confusing. Um, you know, when you talk about rates and you talk about terms and you talk about applications and, you know, who's got the mortgage and do I go to a bank, do I go to a credit union, do it. And I think the best thing that you can probably do, in addition to just doing some good old homework on the Internet yourself and just sort of educating yourself a bit uh, and, and make sure you go to the right sources and not the wrong sources on the Internet, we'll leave it at that, is go to someone like Will. Go to someone who you can trust, who can teach you how this stuff works, who can point you at different products and go, this is what this thing does, this is what this thing does, this is what this thing does. If you plug in your numbers, you get this output, that output, and that output. And make sure that that that, that person is then simply giving you that information, is not really steering you towards something. Because that can be the other thing. When you get, when you get into a place where you kind of don't know what you're doing and you're looking for advice. If you get with the wrong person, they're going to tell you what you should do. And you don't want to work with that kind of person. You want to work with the kind of person who's going to say, this is this, that's that. And that's the other thing. So you choose the one that makes the most sense for you and, and choose and work with a person who's going to give you not only that education, but the time to make that decision. Cause this is a big decision. This is a decision that's going to hang with you depending on the term, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, not that you can't change it along the way, but um, you know, unless you're going to sell that house and completely walk away from it, this is going to stay with you. So make sure you make the right decision. Make sure you get the right information. Make sure you work with someone you can trust. Very cool. Very cool. So, Will, we'll let you have the last word. And, and once again, thank you for joining us. Well, guys, thank you. I appreciate my time with you guys. And um this this is amazing, man. I really do t like enjoy talking about the business. And you know what? One thing is, I I I I don't realize how much I know about the business until people ask me certain questions. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm forced <laughs> to think about it, and yeah. and 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 to give an answer. And uh, and I love that. And uh, yeah, but it's been a great journey uh, in the mortgage business, and I, and I learn new things about mortgages um every day uh as especially as as products change and guidelines change and rules and regs change uh so yeah it, it's a learning process uh for everyone if you haven't taken out a mortgage uh in the past 10 years oh boy it's a whole it's a whole new world now but um but yeah i appreciate uh doing this with you guys and hey if you ever need me again i am here for you Oh, we appreciate it, and we we would. I'm not going to put you. I'm going to put you on the spot. We would love to do a couple of more episodes with you. We have some great topics. We think you would, you would be perfect for. So we'll definitely reach out on that. Please do. Very cool. Very cool. In the meantime, good luck with that grandbaby. Will. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we'll watch out on social media when when she is here. Very cool. We're looking forward to it. Oh, any yeah, any names yet? Are they? Oh yeah, her name is uh, Avery Grace Powell. Ah. That's so cool. Well, 
congratulations to your son and to Avery and yourself and your wife. And I'm sure it's going to be a great next couple of weeks, right? Uh, no matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we're looking forward to Thanksgiving. We're looking forward to the uh, grandbaby uh, showing up within the next week or so. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Jody and Will, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to our next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.